Good afternoon. As we prepare to hear God's word, let's stand for the reading of God's word. Psalm 88. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to shale. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy over me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abdon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. Let's go before God in prayer. Our Father, as we come before you, we we recognize that this is a challenging psalm. This is a dark psalm full of full of doubt, full of even what seems like despair and hopelessness. And I pray that those who are here today who might be feeling those very feelings, that they would be encouraged as we see that this is a man, the psalmist is someone of faith, someone who even in the depths is crying out to you, is engaging with you, and that um, we would be reminded that in Jesus Christ, there is something greater yet to come. So we pray this in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Sorry, I think maybe this pulpit is a little funky, so I am going to put this over here. That's better. Okay. Well, good afternoon. As uh, Alan introduced me, I'm David, and I serve as the assistant pastor at King's Church in Long Beach, and it's a great joy to be here today and to bring God's Word to you. Now today, as we've read, we'll be looking at Psalm 88, but before we dive into the text, I first want to consider the life of William Cowper. Some of you may know who I'm talking about. William Cowper was born on November 15, 1731, and he went on to become a well-known poet of his time. He also became a believer in Christ, 
and penned such hymns that you might be familiar with. God moves in a mysterious way, and there is a fountain filled with blood. He was actually the, the writer for those two hymns. And yet his whole life, he struggled with a terrible depression, both before and after coming to know Christ. Every 10 years, he would fall into an intense depression and attempt to take his own life multiple times. And as the end of his life drew near, the darkness of his mind and heart only seemed to grow deeper. In 1792, he wrote that he always seemed to be, quote, scrambling in the dark among, among rocks and precipices without a guide. Thus, I have spent 20 years. And in 1799, a year before he died, he wrote the poem, The Castaway, about a man washed overboard without hope of rescue, dying before the eyes of his shipmates. And the final lines of that poem read as this, But misery still delights to trace its semblance in another's case. No voice divine the storm allayed, no light propitious shone. When snatched from all effectual aid, we perished, each alone, but I, beneath a rougher sea, and whelmed in deeper gulfs than he. Now, excuse the unpleasant flashbacks to high school English class and analyzing poetry, but Cowper is basically saying in the first two lines that though the sailor being washed overboard is pretty terrible, that's a pretty terrible situation to be in, there's another guy who's going through something similar. And he then says, No divine voice stopped the storm. No wondrous light flashed all around us. Instead, both of us, that sailor and me, the poet, William Cowper, perished each alone. But I, beneath the rougher sea, and whelmed, overwhelmed in deeper gulfs than he. So Cowper was basically saying, That sailor guy had it pretty bad, but I died in a rougher sea, in deeper valleys. And finally, a mere month before he died in 1800, William Cowper said to his doctor, I feel unutterable despair. When we read about William Cowper's life, it's troubling because it's so dark. It makes us wonder, can someone who knew Jesus as, as his Lord and Savior really live in such darkness? Shouldn't such a person express more faith and trust in the goodness of God. Now many of you here today know people who are walking through deep valleys, perishing beneath a violent sea, and perhaps you yourself here today are in that place. How is one supposed to respond when the darkness seems complete? When circumstances seem bleak, but more than that, when God seems silent and far away, how are we to respond? There's the implication in Cowper's poem that he wanted the divine voice to intervene and the heavenly light to shine through the mist of his storm, but it didn't. What are we to do in such a situation? Well, Psalm 88, I believe, is given to us, is in scripture to help us grapple with these darkest times when the darkness does not seem to lift. And the psalm tells us three things. The first thing is this. Darkness can be pitch black 
even for those who know God. Darkness can be pitch black even for those who know God. The first thing we need to know about Psalm 88 is that it is a psalm of lament. One way to define lament is the cry of distress in which the psalmist expresses the suffering and disappointment of life in a fallen world. Lament psalms are, as one Old Testament scholar puts it, psalms of disorientation. They are psalms of disorientation because in these psalms, the psalmist who pens the words is rubbing up against circumstances that don't seem to make sense with how God's well-ordered world should work. Promises do not seem to be kept. God seems distant. The wicked, not the righteous, are the ones that seem to be prospering. And the wrestling, the confusion that faithful followers of God experience in these seasons are captured in psalms of lament. But even among the lament psalms, Psalm 88 has long troubled its readers because it actually breaks the normal pattern of such a psalm. A typical lament psalm has a plea, which we see in verses 1 and 2. I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry, is what the psalmist, that's his plea towards God. And we see another plea in verses 13 and 14. But I, O Lord, cry out to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? The psalmist is pleading with God to first incline his ear and then to also show his face. The psalmist then pours out his complaint to God, which is another component of a lament psalm. And his complaint is essentially all the other verses that we see, expressing the dark nature of the circumstances and why he needs, he needs God to act. And so what, is, what are some of the things that the psalmist is facing? Well, in verse 3, we read that his soul is full. It's literally saturated with troubles. And in verse 3, we also read that he draws near to death, whether literally or metaphorically. He is without strength and he's weak in verse 4. All his friends shun him in verse 8. He feels helpless, verse 15. He feels assaulted by God, verse 16, and about to drown. We see that in verse 17. But what makes this psalm extraordinarily dark and different from all the other psalms of lament is that there is no ending in which the psalmist reaffirms his trust in God, where hope and praise are even expressed. Psalm 13, for example, is a much more typical psalm of lament. The psalm opens with a plea, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? And then in the rest of the psalm, he pours out his complaint. But in the end, he says, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. That's the typical pattern of lament psalm. Plea, complaint, and then reaffirming trust in God. But in contrast, how does Psalm 88 end? Well, we read in verse 18, You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. If you're reading out of the ESV translation of the Bible, the final word 
is darkness. And that actually accurately reflects the Hebrew text, which also ends in the word darkness. There seems to be no light in this psalm. There is no turn in the psalm after an impassioned complaint where the psalmist bursts into something like, the Lord has heard my plea, the Lord accepts my prayer, which we see in Psalm 6. Or, but I will sing of your strength, I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning, another lament psalm, Psalm 59. Instead, Psalm 88 makes us wrestle with the hard truth that sometimes, even as disciples, our dark times will feel complete and unrelenting. We won't always be able to say, God, despite everything that is utterly terrible in my life, I can praise you. We won't always be able to say, even with my cancer diagnosis, even though I lost my job, even though my child is dying, I believe that you are good, O oh God. Sometimes we will only be able to say, you have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. Full stop. For many of us, there will be seasons, perhaps even a lifetime, like William Cowper, where all we experience is engulfing, overwhelming, pitch-black darkness. And Psalm 88 helps us to acknowledge that reality. Psalm 88 shows us that to experience the dark night of the soul is not outside the scope of the Christian experience, outside of the experience of the people of God. That's why those who preach a prosperity gospel, those who say, what God wants for you is to be financially prosperous and physically healthy, is so damaging. They teach that the greater faith you have, the more security and prosperity you will receive. It is the will of God that you be happy, rich, and healthy. And of course, they ask for your money because by giving specifically to their ministry, you will receive God's blessing. But it's not the manipulation of people's purse strings that's the worst, that's the worst part about the prosperity gospel. The worst and most evil part of this gospel and theology is that they lead people to think that if you believe with faith, suffering can be avoided. The reason you have not been healed or why you're still poor is because you don't believe in God enough. You're suffering because you haven't been obedient enough or you have sin in your life. Is it any wonder that when darkness comes to such people that they are crushed by it? They beat themselves up to a pulp or they end up just giving up on God. But if we're honest, I think that none of us are immune from a tendency in our hearts to think that living faithfully, obeying God's word, will keep us from the worst kinds of suffering, from an overwhelming experience of darkness. If a Christian is experiencing an intense season of depression, have you ever thought, well, you just need to pray more and trust God more? We might assume that they aren't reading their Bible as faithfully as they should, or there's some sin that they haven't confessed. And if someone in, in the midst of a crisis admits that they don't feel God's presence, His love, have you ever thought in your heart, well, they're probably doing something wrong in their spiritual life? Psalm 88 reminds us not to be surprised, but instead to be deeply understanding, compassionate, and empathetic 
when Christians speak darkly about life. We may not be in the darkness ourselves, but let us be good companions and walk with those who are. For those of you who are currently plunged into the darkness, I want Psalm 88 to be a comfort to you. What you're going through is not abnormal. It is certainly not the way that God intended for the world to be when he created it, but sin entered the world and the worst kind of brokenness immediately followed. As people who live in this world, we are affected by that sin and we often suffer not because of anything that we have done wrong, but because of the wrongs done against us. Psalm 88 is there to give expression to how you're feeling, to be a guide in how you can call out to God without feeling false. Because frankly, you might feel far from saying, I will sing to the Lord. Instead, you can only say, why do you hide your face from me? My companions have become darkness. And the Bible is telling you, it's okay to be in that place. So to be in the darkness, crying out to God like the psalmist without answer or relief, and without a sense of an answer or transition to renewed hope, does not mean at all that God hates you or that you've lost your faith. Rather, and this is my second point, darkness can reveal true faith even if it looks different. Darkness can reveal true faith, even if it looks different. When most of us think of a person with great faith, we might think of someone like Polycarp, who was an early church father. He was the bishop of Smyrna, and he died a martyr. In a text called The Martyrdom of Polycarp, which was written soon after his death, his final hours are recounted. First, a, a Roman governor takes him before a large crowd and tries to get him to deny his faith. He says to him, Reproach Christ, and I will set you free. And Polycarp famously replies, Eighty-six years have I served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? The Roman governor then replies, I have wild animals here, and I will throw, the, throw you to them if you do not repent. And Polycarp, being a man of great faith, is unfazed. He says, Call them. It is unthinkable for me to repent from what is good to turn to what is evil. I will be glad, though, to be changed from evil to righteousness. And the governor sees that Polycarp is not intimidated, and so he decides to burn him alive. People come to fix him with nails to the stake at which he is to be burned, and, and so he won't struggle you know, when the fire is, is starting up. And Polycarp, being the Chuck Norris of martyrs, says, Leave me as I am, for he that gives me strength to endure the fire will enable me not to struggle without the help of your nails. And so then he prays this long, wonderful prayer of thanksgiving and praise to God. And so when we think of people with great faith, we think of polycarps. We think of people who are unflappable, bold, fearless in the face of suffering. Well, Psalm 88 is probably the absolute last place we would turn to in our Bible to model to someone how to deal with the crisis. And yet, maybe we should. The psalmist of Psalm 88 actually models a deep and true faith in the midst of his darkness. Even though it isn't expressed through powerful declarations of trust in God as we might expect. The most clear and evident illustration of this faith is a psalmist's engagement with God. For 18 verses, 
The psalmist cries out, he prays, he accuses, and he pours out his soul towards God. The psalm is not extraordinarily long, but if you've ever been in the depths before, you know that it's not an easy thing to pray to God, even beyond a few sentences, especially when it feels like he is silent and far away. I heard a talk many years ago by David Pallison, a Christian counselor and actually one of my professors in seminary, who just recently passed away from cancer last month. And something he has said has always stuck with me. In a talk, he gave this illustration, and I'm paraphrasing it a bit. For the Christian, it's not about the speed of their growth in Christ. It's not the rate that matters, but the direction. Some of us, in a certain season of life, seem to grow with leaps and bounds. Others have a more slow, steady walk. But some of us encounter seasons where we're just trudging. And some of us are crawling on our hands and knees. And some of us are just sitting still. What matters is the direction that we're facing. Now I revisited this talk as I prepared for the sermon as it reminded me of Psalm 88. And to my surprise, he actually mentioned Psalm 88 specifically in that exact section that I was trying to recall. And here's what he says, quote, Some people crawl on their hands and knees. Progress is painful. Praise God for the glory of his grace. You're inching in the right direction. And then there are times that you aren't even moving, stuck in gridlock, broken down, but you're still facing in the right direction. That's Psalm 88, the basement of the Psalms. This man feels dark despair, but it's despair in the Lord's direction. In other words, it's still faith. Even when faith feels so discouraged, you can only say, you are my only hope. Help, where are you? That counts. He made it into the Bible. End quote. I love how he describes it. Despair in the Lord's direction. That's all the psalmist had to offer. Despair in the Lord's direction. Yet it's faith because it's directed towards God. The psalmist expresses a persistent faith because even in the face of a silent God, a God who seems to have turned his faith away from, face away from him, he's still coming to him. He's still recognizing that only God can change his circumstances. His heart can give him the relief he needs. We see that faith in verse 1. O Lord, God of my salvation is how he addresses him where he recognizes that God is the one who will save, who alone can save him from the darkness. And we see his faith in verses 10 through 12, where he asks God a series of very pointed questions. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abdon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? For many of us, this, this type of questioning of God is deeply uncomfortable. The psalmist is essentially saying, God, I want to praise you, make you known, but I'm dying here. I'm overwhelmed here. I'm at the end of my rope. Don't you care? Why don't you do something? Perhaps you might think, we can't speak to God in this way. Yet he is expressing faith because he knows that to praise God, to declare God's steadfast love, to make known his righteousness, 
is what he ought to be doing, but he can't. And what makes his persistent engagement with God all the more amazing is that the psalmist has nothing to gain. What do we mean by that? The psalmist is near death, swamped by darkness. God is no comfort, no hope, no solace. God appears silent and distant. What does praying to God do anything for him? With the other psalmists, they pray to God, and they're able to find comfort in God's past goodness or his character. They sense his presence or his answer. But not this psalmist. When you're in the depths, it's a whole lot easier to disengage from God because praying to him gives you no comfort. Why go to church? Why read your Bible? Why do anything God-related? He has abandoned you. He has turned out the lights. He has turned his face away. Darkness brings us to the point where the motive of our hearts are revealed. Are we loving and serving God for himself or for ourselves? Those who love and serve God for himself are those who have absolutely nothing to gain and yet persist with God. They ought to be counted among the faithful. Some of you came to church today despite the fact that nothing here feels beneficial to you. You are in utter darkness internally and spiritually. The songs ring hollow. To hear scripture is painful. To pray feels like a heavy weight around your neck. And yet, you came. And because you came, you are an encouragement to me and the people around you. Your faith is real and it shines through even in the midst of your darkness. Your presence here today expresses a desire to engage with God even when you have no reason to want to, when he's not doing anything for you. But you are coming for him and your deep faith revealed in the most terrible of circumstances is humbling for the rest of us. Darkness can reveal true faith even if it looks different. Finally, Psalm 88 helps us grapple with the, heart, with the darkest of times because it tells us, darkness can be a long night, but there will be a morning. Darkness can be a long night, but there will be a morning. Now, if you've been paying attention, you might be wondering, am I going back on everything I just said about this psalm? Clearly, the psalm ends in darkness. Where is the morning in this psalm? To answer this question, we have to ask another question. Who experienced Psalm 88 to its fullest extent? Who can say, for my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to Sheol? Who knows intimately the words, O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Who experienced complete darkness and complete abandonment. Matthew 27 says this, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? More than you and me or even the psalmist who wrote these words, Jesus knows what it's like to be plunged into the darkness to experience the dark night of the soul, to feel God's hand heavy against him, and to cry out to him with a loud voice and hear only deafening silence. 
For more than anyone, Jesus was, as Isaiah 53.3 says, despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows. And why did Jesus have to experience such a darkness? Because when it comes down to it, God's wrath, his anger against us is justified. He created and loved us, and no matter how good you think you are, you've rejected him. You've lived your own way. You've broken his law and you've hurt others. But God wants to forgive us. Yet to forgive means to absorb the debt. That's why forgiveness towards someone who wronged us is so hard, if you've ever been in that place. They owe us something. They owe us restitution. And we don't take our, our pound of flesh when we forgive them instead. So too with God. God came down in the person of Jesus Christ, taking on our humanity so that he could absorb our debt, the wrath and the darkness that we deserve on the cross. For those who believe in Jesus, we will never experience total darkness because Jesus' darkness was total. We will never experience true abandonment because Jesus experienced complete abandonment. We may feel that God has turned his face away from us, but he never will because the Father turned his face away from his Son. Jesus can truly say that darkness was his only companion as he hung there, rejected by all, on the cross. And yet he went there out of love so that you will never have to truly say that darkness is your only companion. You may feel that way in the bleakest of times, but it will never truly be true. Because of Jesus, God will never leave you nor forsake you. And on top of that, there will be a morning. How do we know this? Because three days later, after Jesus was laid in the grave, he rose again to new life. The Bible calls Jesus the first fruits because Jesus is the very first man of the part of something new, another age, a coming era, where the world will be remade, where the final enemy, death, will be destroyed and there will be no crying or pain, no tears, only life and complete joy. It's what we long for and what Peter, Edmund, and Lucy must have experienced at the very end of the last book of the Chronicles of Narnia, when the world had been remade, Aslan turns to them and tells them, the term is over, the holidays have begun, the dream is ended, this is the morning. William Cowper, who lived in so much darkness, was recorded to have a similar experience. On his deathbed, deathbed it is said that his face suddenly lighted up with a look of wonder and inexpressible delight. A few minutes later, he said, I am not shut out of heaven after all. And then he breathed his last. Even though the darkness can be a long night, a chronic illness, a persistent depression, a sense of abandonment by God, it will not last forever. Even the threat of death cannot swallow us. For though the psalmist asks, do the departed rise up to praise you, expecting a no, Jesus Christ answers and says, in me, the departed will rise to praise you. For when the morning comes, we will rise and praise our God. Let's pray.
our Heavenly Father. We feel distant, we feel far away, we wonder where you are. And our hearts are heavy. We feel a sense of abandonment. And yet, God, I pray for those who are in that place today, that they would know that you have not left them nor forsaken you have or nor forsook them, that you are with them, that you will never truly turn your face away because Jesus received that judgment on the cross. And so even if there even if there are people here in a dark place today, I pray that they would continue to, to cry out to you, continue to, to pray to you, even when their heart doesn't feel like it's changing. Give them faith, give them strength to cling on to you and to know that there will be a morning, that you are, you are faithful and you are true and that you come to make all things new. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.